Okay. Oh, dear God. Um, <laughs> somebody said, could they tape this speech? Now I'm going to have to change it all. Um, okay. I am an alcoholic, and my name is Ginger. And I am happy to be here. And um, I am supposed to tell you what I was like and what happened and what I'm like today. And I'm planning to do that with God's help. Um, I have, let's see, my sobriety date is January 2nd of 2003. And um, I have a home group. It's called Open Channel. And the channel's open tonight, and they're here. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's uh, Monday night at 7 on uh, Market Street in the um, St. Andrews, thank you, Episcopal Church. And it's a, it's a very different, well, you know, we're all different, but our meeting is different. Um, we read from, uh, it's an 11-step meeting, and we read the 11th step, and then we, um, we have a little reading from AA-approved literature. We have 20 minutes, yes, 20 minutes of quiet in the dark meditation, and then we um, come to and uh, dis- and read the reading again and, and discuss it, and, um, and I, it's been a really good one for me because meditation was one of those things that I kind of fluffed over, you know, it talks about, you know, prayer and meditation and self-examination are valuable all by themselves, but if you're doing all three, how good it can get, and I found that to be the case, so I'm really happy about that. Um, let's see, um, trying to think if there's any other particulars I should take care of before I continue. Okay, um, hmm. What, Enid? Oh, talk louder than this? It so sounds loud. <clears throat> okay, is that better? Yeah. Okay, you can cut that off of the tape. Okay, uh, all righty. Um, okay, so I was born Grayson Willis Strobeck. Now, is that a reason to drink or what? Um, uh, well, it was a reason to get married at a young age and change the last name. But uh, anyway, um, I had a happy childhood. Um, I had a father that was a, my higher power for a long time, <laughs> and, uh, and he, he earned it. He was good, and um, he was just the kind of man um, I wanted to marry and, and actually did, so that was good. Um, I had a mother that um, uh, let my older brother and younger brother kill each other while we went shopping, and uh, that, that worked out really well, and she was very creative, and... Um, she used to make me dresses uh, out of 25-cent-a-yard remnant brocade material and dolled me up, and off I went. And, and uh, she didn't have much money, but she knew how to, to, to make it all work, and both of them did. They did a good job. They really did. Um, but somehow you always end up getting a few hang-ups along the way, uh, probably those things which, uh, you know, Dr. Phil, I like Dr. Phil, 
I don't watch him anymore because it's turned into Jerry Springer, but I used to when he used to have wisdom to, to share. And he said there are probably 10 defining moments in our childhood that kind of help us define who we were. And somehow some of the defining moments in my childhood said, you're not very pretty. And um, I think it had something to do with my older brother calling me olive oil. And, and, and you don't even know who that is, do you? From Popeye, because you're so, so damn young. And, uh, and then I had red curly hair with freckles and a big space between my front teeth. So my other brother called me Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine. And again, you have to be, yeah, oh, God. And, um, and then my, my father always just told my mother was really pretty. And he told her so all the time. And he didn't tell me I wasn't, but he didn't tell me I was. <laughs> and and I, I kind of needed that, I think. But uh, so there was that little thing going, the little ugly duckling thing. And then there was the, um, the um, had-to-be-perfect kind of thing, um, which I carried right on with me as I grew up. I mean, when I taught, if I got evaluations back from a class, and there were 42 in the class, and 40 thought I hung the moon and was wonderful, and two didn't like my sense of humor or something, I, I just felt like a failure. I mean, you know, it just had to be all or nothing, right? And, um, and, then, and then I, was a, I, I learned how to be a people pleaser. You know, you got to please that dad that doesn't think you're so pretty, so maybe if you're smart. And uh, so I did that. I did the smart thing. And, uh, you know, got really good grades and everything. And um, he was really no nonsense. He was all into it. He didn't have a lot of money, but he'd pay for things that were educational. Like he wouldn't pay for my ballroom dancing lessons even though my boyfriend went and asked out this really awful girl to, to go to the little dance at the end, and I couldn't go because I was supposed to be learning at home from my friends, but all my friends were ballroom dancing lessons or whatever. Uh, so there wasn't money for that, but there was money for me to go off um, to uh, an art camp um, that my art teacher wanted me to go to, and there was money for me to go when I was going to be editor of the yearbook to... Uh, FSU at the time I was in Florida uh, for a journalism camp. So he found money for the important things, but, you know, I kind of wanted some of those frivolous things. And I remember one time coming home, and I was in the finals for cheerleading, and, and they called me from the yearbook, and they said, we'd like you to be editor of the yearbook, but you can't do that and be a cheerleader because you'd be too busy. So I came home, and I told my mother, and she said, oh, cheerleader, woo! And my dad says, looks up from his nonfiction book that he was reading. <laughs> and said, so, well, I've known just lots of 40-year-old journalists, but I haven't known many 40-year-old cheerleaders. And I said, well, you didn't know the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> now, that was before that time. And so anyway, so that had some, you know, it was that kind of bearing of, you know, trying again to, to please dad. And also, um, like to please my mother, um, and she would be out playing bridge with her friends in the living room, and I was right off of the, we had a bedroom right off the living room, and they'd be eating the pie, the lemon chiffon pie that mother would say, oh, Ginger made that, and, um... And the ladies would say, really? My daughters would never do that for me. And I'm just in there. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And then I go to my grandmother's, and um, I had a first cousin that was three years older than I was. And after the dinner, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner with the 32 vegetables and seven meats and all these little relishes that came out into little dishes and had to go back in the little jars. I did it all. You know, I had to go in there. No dishwasher. Lisa, get that. No dishwasher. And, um, oh, I can't do this. I was going to put a plug for something, but I can't do that. Um, but anyway, um, my cousin and I were volunteered to do the dishes and, um, she only came because her mother made her because I volunteered. And so then she'd go to the, she said, I got to go to the bathroom. And then I'd never see her again. So, you know, I'd have all those dishes to do. But I just loved it when my grandmother praised me, you know, for that. So I, I, this, this went on into my grown-up years, too, you know. I was um, still trying to people please, still trying to get attention, um, pleasing some of my bosses and slightly inappropriate ways and you know it just went right on up but I would say that I would say that um I did not drink until I was 21 is that novel or what but it was against the law it was against the law in Florida to drink before you were 21 and I was pretty goody tissues right but I did have I was married at 20 so um I had my first drink when I was 21, and I had slow gin and 7-Up, and uh, it tasted like cough syrup, uh, which I decided I didn't need to do for a while. So I, I had two children. I am sure that I, I'm sure I did not drink through my pregnancies, but I'm positive I was drinking when I conceived them. One could have been Margarita, one could have been Brandy Alexander, the name, I don't know. But I the fancy drinks, because I had those kinds of inhibitions, and, and that was helpful for me, and a little social lubricant. But anyway, so, um, <laughs> so my drinking probably didn't become an issue or a problem. Well, it didn't come a problem for me for a damn long time, but... <laughs> It became, a, it became a problem for my husband and my daughters a bit earlier. Um, and they were, they were, my daughters were in their teens, like 13 and 14. You know that time when your kids kind of need you the most? And I was pretty unavailable uh, because I was drinking. And I, I had a job and I prayed. This isn't coming out right. I prided myself in never missing a day's work. I had to teach later and later classes as time went by, and nobody really minded because everybody wanted to teach the eight, nine, and tens and be out of there, right? And and here I would come in and I could get there by 11. And, um, you know, do the 11 and the twos and the threes. They loved it. Um, so that worked out for me. Um, but what was going on was I was... I was becoming fairly miserable, um, wasn't happy, didn't know why, didn't think it was alcohol, um, but I was just starting to, you know, feel like we feel when we, when, when we don't feel good. <laughs> and uh, so 
some of the some of the things that went on during my drinking were were quite humorous, I think, and um, like we all have those stories, and then some of them were quite sad. But uh, I prefer to start with the humorous ones, <laughs> and maybe stay there. But um, that's not part of my talk. So I, I, I can remember I can remember I'd have a lot of dinner parties at my house, even church ones, you know. Episcopalians drank, right? So we would be uh, having like 20 people at the house and some in the living room and some in the dining room. And I had bought all kinds of alcohol because my husband was starting to watch how much I drank and if I, you know. And so I'd, I'd think of menus that had booze in them, you know, like sherry for the crab bisque and creme de menthe to pour on the ice cream at the end and and uh, red wine for the beef bourguignon and you know you just, I just would collect it. I was just getting so excited about this cooking and and then um, and then you know it would all just be left and like well I might as well drink it but um, but what what would happen is this one night I had all these really neat people in there and we're sitting at the table and somebody says oh ginger oh this chicken all wonderful is just so good can i have some i'm gonna pass me some more and i said well let me run into the kitchen and put it in the microwave and heat it up no it's fine it's fine i insist well i needed to get to the kitchen guys because i had um these little navy blue paper cups in my cupboard full of red wine they were navy blue, so you couldn't see through them. And uh, and I would just open the cupboard, and I while well, it was this stuff was in the microwave. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, right? And uh, I'm just sipping from the cabinet, and I'm putting these back in. And if anybody should open there, it just looks like a navy blue cup, right? Okay, so I'm doing that, and then I, I don't have any more, and, and and I can't get the stopper out of the. So I go to the refrigerator door and open it up, and I see a beer. I don't even drink beer, right? But I opened it. And and I got behind the refrigerator door because it was open. It blocked the dining room where all the people were. So I just get down and go, 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 you know, and drink this beer and put it down. And then, anyway, long story short, the next morning, I found that chicken a la wonderful in the microwave. <laughs> and I never took it back. Um, so, and plus, they had had to wait till 10 o'clock to have their dinner. But... Um, that was no big deal. And then, and then there was, let me tell you the, the Danny story. Um, I was across the, oh, I was given a final at night and it was a calculus final. It was three hours long, honor system, you know. So I was in the school of business. So I'm, I walked across the street to the Spring Garden Bar and Grill after I'd passed out their finals and I had a glass of red wine. And uh, I would come back and check on them, see if they had any questions. And uh, they better hope they had them early in the evening. But um, I'd go back, and then I met this guy named Danny. And Danny was 28, and I was 40. And, um, and Danny said, his friends said that they liked older women, and he wanted to meet one. So anyway, it wasn't long for me and Danny were checking on the class, you know. <laughs> And uh, so Danny and I would come in and check on the class and see if they had any questions. And, um, 
and that was like on a Thursday and uh, Friday morning that I can't say it, it's being taped. That witch of a secretary um, picked up the phone and said, Ginger, and this is before you could just connect directly, you know. She said, Ginger, I have a call for you. It's from Danny. And I said, I don't know any Danny. And so she, she'd say that, hang it up. And then the next day she said, It's Danny again. <laughs> I said, Well, here was my deal. I didn't cross the line much, guys, but I found myself standing on it a whole lot. And uh, so those, these were the kinds of things that were starting to happen in my life. And, um, and, and not all of it was, was funny. Um, some of it was very sad. Um, told you about my two daughters that, that needed their mamas. And um, one night I heard my daughter crying in her bedroom and I don't know she'd probably just broken up with loser number three I don't know but um, I went in and I said I said what's wrong honey and she says nothing because she didn't want to talk to a drunk mom would you um, and and uh, I said oh come on tell me about it did you break up with Bart what's going on and she said no, I'm fine. And so I went and I got a $5 bill and I brought it to her and I said, here, honey, I said, go out and buy you a nice pair of earrings tomorrow as I slurred it. And she said, and at the time you could buy a pair of earrings for $5, you know. Actually, today I bought these for three something. <laughs> but uh, anyway... But she took, the, she took that $5 bill and she wadded it up in her hand and she threw it at me as hard as she could. And she said, I don't want your money. I want my mama back. And um, my other daughter, uh, I went in her room one time and found a makeshift diary. It was just a line paper. So I didn't know it was a diary because I wouldn't have read it if I'd known that because I really do believe in privacy. Um, yeah, see, I, I believe in a lot of good stuff, but I drove drunk, you know. But um, I um, picked it up, and it said, well, Mama's drinking again. I guess I'll just stay in my room. And, that, you know, that was kind of sad. And then we had the fights. Oh, my God, we had the fights because my husband decided that drinking ladylike, which is what he wanted for me, or said I could do, uh, was two drinks, Right. That's all. That's all. Okay, so we used to fight about how many drinks I had had. <laughs> and, um, and it turns out that one night we were really into it, and I just called him a liar at the top of my lungs, and my daughter got up and grabbed her blanket from childhood and picture of her boyfriend, which was another loser, and went tearing out into the streets, and she thought I'd said fire. So we had some pretty, you know, we had some pretty, pretty rough things for those girls to go through. And I embarrassed my husband a lot. My husband had a good job, and he would invite me to go with him to these wonderful dinners where I could have ordered filet mignon and lobster and anything I wanted, and all I wanted was for the damn waiter to come back so I could get my second ladylike glass of wine. And, um, and it didn't always happen fast enough. So I would go to the restroom, 
And I had a bottle of Van Cleef and Arpels first in my purse, which is the same color as scotch. I had replaced it with scotch, of course, and I would drink that in the little shower. Well, I wasn't taking a shower. I wasn't that drunk. I was in the little bathroom stall, and I would drink the scotch and then come back and sit at the table, and then I could wait a little longer for that second glass of wine. And then I'd start saying really weird things and, um, and embarrassing my husband, and he'd get home, and he was just shaking his head because he said, you know, you're... You don't drink that much, but it, you just can't handle it. <laughs> Whew. Um, so I had had enough. But that's, you know, so, so, so bad things were happening. And, um, and then the other bad things that were happening to me uh, or disappointing, you know, there were horrible things, were that my girls were begging my husband to leave me. You know, they said, you got to leave her. You know, please, divorce her, divorce her. And he didn't. And... Um, and I'm sure if the tables had been turned and he'd been the drinker and I hadn't been with the way I was, I probably would have left him. So, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he, that he stuck it out. But it was going to be a while. It was going to be a while before those girls got their mama back. Um, they both went off to college saying I would never see them again. And they were a year apart. And... They said that I would never see any grandchildren. <laughs> I'm laughing because I fast forward. They just left. There were two at my house today. <laughs> but um, anyway, that, you know, that this, and, and it was bad. It was really bad. Okay, so they're off to college, and, uh, and I decide that um, I just don't want, you know, I, I'm functioning, right? And that's hard. I mean, that's hard to function like that. And, and you know, just a day in my life was exhausting. It really was. And um, as I'd get up so early and then have to be the people pleaser that I was, I had to bake cookies for all of the um, faculty meetings. Lord knows they should have some store-bought Oreos, you know. And it, was, and it wasn't about them. I didn't care if they had any cookies. It was about, well, look at Ginger. How does she do it all? You know, that kind of thing. It was just still that stuff going on. So I'd, I, um, the drinking was getting really bad, and, um, and I, was, I was hiding it everywhere. And my husband's real smart, but I didn't stay one ahead of him. Most of the time. And I used, I used to play that game when we go to parties where you stay one room ahead of your husband, you know. And I, I love the circular patterns, you know, where you could kind of... The, the booze was usually in the kitchen, and so then you could go to the dining room, the living room. By the time he got the dining room, I could be to the, to the family room, and then when he's getting to the family room, I could get to the sunroom and back to the kitchen. And he'd be trying to get me to go home for hours, and I could do that. And it was just amazing. But um, it was, you know, it was, it, was getting, it was getting bad. I was starting to be depressed. I wouldn't say I hit, I hit an emotional bottom before I hit a bottom for quitting alcohol. Um, and I don't know how much lower you can get than I was because um, I went in one night and pulled out my outside issues, um, little thing of pills. I think I had, I'll say at seven Valium, and I thought, well, that won't kill me. <laughs> so I just put them back, but that was a thought. And um, so it was, it was getting pretty bad. Well, I finally had a, um, I 
finally had a something that happened that, that really frightened me. Oh, that frightened me too. I thought of something else. What really frightened me was when I went, I go for in for electrolysis, and I don't know if you ladies have ever had it. It's probably not done anymore, but they used to go, the little electric needle in the pores of where you had hair, and it was supposed to kill the roots so you wouldn't have hair if it was coming above your lip where you're not supposed to have hair. And uh, it was very painful, so I remember drinking a whole lot of sipping, a whole lot of decorative sherry. It was that amber color on my coffee table that matched my drapes and all that. And I, I, um, I sipped about a half a bottle of that, and, uh, and I called the next day because I was so embarrassed, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry that I missed my electrolysis appointment. And she said, well, honey, you were here. <laughs> and, um, and, and I did... I did not believe her until I got the check, the check I wrote her back, and some drunk woman had written her a check for electrolysis with a very hefty tip, I might add. And um, that frightened me. I didn't know I went. I could have checked. <laughs> no, I didn't know. And uh, so that was, that was very frightening. And another thing that frightened me was one night I went to... Uh, I went down to the city club with a bunch of my little bridge playing friends, and um, and her mother was treating us, and there was an open bar, and of course I got scotch on the rocks because you can't mess that up, right? And um, and then I would have wine with dinner, and I was getting ready to drive home, and I remember my friend asking me if I was all right to drive. I don't know why she thought I wasn't, because I told her what. But I tell her, I'm fine, and. Um, I ended up hitting a curb, I think, because um, I had a flat tire, and this was about midnight, and I pulled into some filling station at, on Summit, and fortunately, all the attendants had had more to drink than I had, so I didn't get in any kind of trouble except till they called my husband, and um, he did come, and he changed the tire because they couldn't manage it, and... Um, <laughs> I followed him home. He said, do you think you can follow me home? And I said, I can. I am fine. And I passed the house. But I'm in, eventually, <laughs> I eventually got back. So anyway, now, we're, now we know I belong here. Okay, so what, you know, what happened? Um, the next day, I woke up at 3 in the morning, which was frequently the case when I'm drinking. I... I would, you know, I would drink, 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 and uh, wake up still real early. He was asleep. I knew I didn't want to talk to him that morning. <laughs> so I laid there for hours until he went to work. And then I got up and I thumbed through the phone book, and I found what I thought was Alcoholics Anonymous because I had had one visit... I had had a few visits to a shrink trying to figure out what was wrong with me years before that. And um, when he mentioned drinking, um, I only have two, right? And uh, I did ask him, though, I did ask him if, um, if I did turn out to have a problem one day down the line with alcohol, what should I do? And he said, well, I don't know if anything really works, but you might want to try Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, they, that works for some people if they get the right group or something like that. He wasn't real sold on it, but, um, but I had that in my head. And so 
basically, um, I did decide that that's what I needed to do. And uh, so I, tr I called. And I got hold of this lady named Genevieve. And uh, she said, uh, and I started, I said, well... I go to this church, and I'm in this club, and I have these friends, and I teach here, and I do. So I don't want to just go to any old meeting, and, uh, you know, with the, yeah, right, is what I'd say. Um, and she said, well, I think you might find somebody at this meeting you would like. And, um, of course, she was, she was the wife of a doctor. <laughs> she didn't tell me that. And I asked her another question that she gave me a pretty good answer to. Um, I said, um, I want to know what the odds are of my stopping drinking if I come to this AA because, you know, if the odds are bad because I'm a mathematician, you know, I'm not going to waste my time. And uh, she said, well, she said, the odds of your staying sober if you're willing to go to any lengths are about 100%. And the odds of you getting sober if you're not are about 0%. And, you know, even as a statistician, I bought that. And I went, and I'm, it, was a, it was a very smart move. I will say that uh, I did not dive into the program. I thought two meetings a month might do, whether I needed it or not. And, um, and I didn't drink because I didn't want to let those lovely ladies down. And uh, a couple of them are still alive, but, you know, this was a long time. This was almost 30 years ago. And... Um, I, um, I even had them raise their hand the first night. I said, would everybody in here that has five years please raise your hand? I wanted to see if it was worth my time. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of them did. And I thought, damn, you know, if I could make it five years, I'd probably make it forever. And I picked up a five-year chip on December 9th, and this was in probably 92 because I came in in 87. And I picked up a drink on December 26th. <laughs> um, so I, I just had that in my head. You know, if I can go five years, I can go forever. Well, that's not the case. And, um, and I also had that happen a, a couple other times. I, I think there's two, there's, a, there's one thing about admitting you're an alcoholic, and there's another thing about accepting it or believing it. And um, I just had found that five years a little too easy, I guess. And so I, I continued on that pattern. I was on the five-year plan for a while. But in the meantime, I, I was in a, a really good group. I had a very good sponsor. I went through um, the big book. And as we read through it, I worked the steps as I got to them. I did a fantastic fifth step, I think. And, I mean, by the time I got to it, we knew each other so well by reading through the book that she, she knew almost everything about me. Not quite, but I was able to choke it all out. And, uh, and, I, and I, it was real interesting because it uh, turns out she'd done it all and then some. And it was really wonderful to have somebody that was so understanding. But uh, I, um, I ended up under her deciding to do some controlled drinking because I decided, you know... Um, I'm just not really sure I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> oh God, hiding in the bushes when your mother, when my husband's mother's visiting, doesn't qualify you, you know. Uh, 
having two open bottles of red wine in your boots, in your closet, uh, unstoppered so you could get to them at any time doesn't qualify you. Um, so I, I needed to try some controlled drinking. And she said, well, I think that might be a good idea. And so for two weeks, I tried it. And I'm going to tell you, that was the most miserable two weeks of my life, uh, trying to figure out how to make two drinks do it. Well, you can buy bigger glasses, which I did. Um, you can stand at the refrigerator with the wine, and you can pour it to the rim and say, well, that's too, too full to walk across the floor with, so you sip it down. And then you think, well, that isn't even a full glass. <laughs> I mean, the stuff I did, just, it just blows my mind. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, maybe four days into it, I was a runner at the time. So I was, like, going and running five miles to wear off the physical craving. Yeah, I could do that for the rest of my life, especially when I'm this age. I could just run five miles every time. Um, that wasn't working. Um, and, and, I, and I had a visual, I had a, a moment of clarity, and it came, it came when uh, I was upstairs, okay, I was having my two glasses, right, with my husband, well, my, my brand of two glasses, and, um, and I had two open, I forgot to tell you, in those two black boots in my closet, and I would fold laundry, and take the laundry up. I never took laundry up unless I was drinking, and I always was, so the laundry always got put away. But uh, I would take it up to put it away, and I'd, I had on this uh, nightgown that was turquoise and real fluffy. And um, I, the reason I remember that is I had this vision of me in the mirror because what happened is I, I reached in there to get some wine after I put the laundry away, and I was drinking it, and... Uh, and I heard my husband coming up the steps. And I thought, damn. And, but I wouldn't put it back. No, I had to get some, something to drink first. So I drank it. And it went all the way down the front of me. And I, I was standing in front of my dresser mirror. And I saw it. And I thought, oh, my God, look at that drunk woman. Anyway, it was, it was a bad visual. And so I thought, okay. So I put it back in there, and I took off my gown because he couldn't find me with the red wine. And, of course, that evening had a little different ending than I had planned. But, but, but something good came out of that evening. No, not the third child. What came out... No, what came out of that evening was that I had seen, I had, what I saw in that mirror was very, very upsetting to me. And I still have that visual. And, uh, and I, I, went to, um, I went back to my sponsor after that happened, and I said, well, I think it's time to pick up a start over job. And I said, but you know, it really wasn't like they said. It really doesn't progress like they said, because it really wasn't any worse than it was when I came in the first time. And she said, well, she said, how long did you drink alcoholically before you came in the first time? I said, well, depends on who you ask. Um, one daughter said five years. One said seven. My husband said ten. And between you and me, it was probably about 15. Um, so she said, well... It took you seven years to find the rooms the first time, and it took you two weeks this time. I'd call that progressive. 
So, uh, I mean, I was hard to deal with. And had she said I had a rebellious nature, which she finally fired me. But um, what happened when I finally, I do want to get to the, the time that I came in here the way the book begs you to do the first time. We were just reading in the big book at Green Street the other day, and it said, it said, we beg you to do this thoroughly from the start. I didn't. But this past, last time, I did. And I remember I had started drinking at a family reunion in October. And um, this was in... O2, and um, I knew I couldn't make it through Christmas and stop, And but I, I didn't even drink every day. See, I could always stop drinking, guys. I just couldn't stay stopped, and uh, and because life happened, you know. So I, um, I ended up, I ended up, um, let's see. Totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh yeah. So so uh, another visual I have to give you because this one is the one I conjure up anytime. I even well I don't even entertain a drink anymore. You know I didn't. I mean I've thought of killing my husband, but I've never thought of taking a drink. <laughs> I just it's not it's not going to happen. Uh, I don't think. Um, I uh, had this visual, another visual, uh, that, that December before I picked up my, my present last chip I, that I'm hoping is my last chip, starter chip. Um, I, was in a, I was in a country club bathroom, and um, it was around the 15th of December of, um, of 02, I guess. And there was a, there was a lady in there. And she was way older than I am right now. And she had on a leopard skin jacket and real high heels. She could barely walk. And, uh, she, and I, I don't think she could have walked if she was sober. But she, but she wasn't. She wasn't sober. And she had a martini in one hand and she had a lipstick in the other. And I walked in the bathroom behind her and she was at the mirror and she had that lipstick and she was putting it on and it went right up her nose <laughs> and I thought oh, that's awful and I thought that's what I'm going to grow old doing that's what I'm I don't want to grow old like that and anytime I think about entertaining the thought of drinking again. I, I think of that woman in the mirror in the gown and the and the and the just guzzling wine to get it down before somebody comes in and then and then that. And I thought, I, I just don't want to grow old like that. And so um, on January second, I waited till after Christmas because I knew I couldn't stop before then and I called my present sponsor and she'd been my sponsor for a couple of years and now it's been about fifteen but I called her and I said, I'm depressed. And she said, what? She said, you're not prone to depression. What's going on? I said, I've been drinking. She said, that's depressing. And she said, and failing at AA is depressing too, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. And uh, so 
I showed up for lunch with her at where she was working, and I was all dressed up, and she said, boy, you look better than you sounded. And I said, well, it's kind of the story of my life, you know. Uh, if I start looking too good, you can start worrying about me, because, you know, I just had to not let you know how badly I felt. But uh, we, had a, we had a come to Jesus meeting, or she did. I was just there. But... Um, uh, <laughs> And she had me. Uh, she had me list my priorities. She said, Would you, "She said, what are your priorities?" She was just like clueless, and because um, it wasn't clear to her or me. And uh, I said, "My family comes first. <coughs> Wrong answer. And then I said, um, "And then my job. I have this job that I love, and I'm really good at it. I even win awards doing it." And uh, so that was second. And she said, what about third? And I said, oh, it'll probably be me and my little bridge playing friends, you know. Um, and she said, are you ever going to get to AA and sobriety and, you, you know, this program? I said, oh, yeah, that's real important. Um, yeah, that's important. We can move that up a little. And, um, and then she said, and what about Ginger? What do you do for her? Do you, uh, <laughs> There's never time for me, you know. I was a martyr. I was still a martyr. I'd never grown in the program. I'd been going to the meetings. I just didn't get to more than a dozen or two. <laughs> I didn't get to enough um, to get what I was supposed to be doing. But anyway, uh, she said, this is going to be ever so easy to fix. i take those two bottom ones and move them to the top, and we're going to have the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and your higher power that you will develop um, first. We will have you second. Then your family. And then your job. And you ain't going to have time for those earth people for a while because i got a lot of stuff for you to do. And, uh, and she did start taking She really laid it out. And I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. And I did not go babysit in Charleston for my daughter who was expecting me. I said, I have to go. She's expecting me. And she said, I don't think she wants you drunk. Um, and she ended up getting a college girl that did just, just fine, you know. And uh, I decided to turn myself into this program and surrender myself to this program 100%, which is what I was begged to do by the big book in the beginning, and I didn't do it. Um, so I kind of had 15 years I could have been growing that I wasn't, you know. And um, so I did these things, and uh, lo and behold, <laughs> um, a program develops. Um, and uh, I don't know how many meetings I go to a week now. I don't count. And I don't know how many I could cut back to to get sober. I don't want to. Um, I, um, I have found in this, I have found some wonderful things in this past 13 years. And the, and the biggest of all is that I have uh, developed a relationship with my higher power that is un. It is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and, and it happened gradually. I was reading, I was, I was always reading from the little meditations. I say prayers in the morning. I uh, have had experiences that have been not white light experiences exactly, but maybe nine years ago I had this thing where, where my, my one daughter was 
her husband was strung out on steroids, and he, I got a call where she was, he'd hit her. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't him. It was those damn, you know, things, and um, and it was just awful. I didn't know what it was. It was scary. It was, it was again, some more Jerry Springer stuff, and it was, uh, there were guns involved. It was awful. And then my other son-in-law, I swear to God, three days later, gets on the phone and says, your, your other daughter wants to leave me. What should I do? And I'm like, well, call your own damn mother. No, I didn't have, but no. No. But that, that happened, and then my granddaughter had surgery and was recovering in my house, and she turned it into a bed and breakfast for all her friends. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to drink. And, um, and I, I thought, oh, my gosh. And, and I went to bed that night. I remember laying on the bed and just looking up at the ceiling and thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to stare at the ceiling all night. There's no way in hell I'm going to sleep tonight. Oh, Lord. And I started reading from my As Bill Sees It, which I keep always right in my desk drawer. Not desk drawer. What is it? A bedside table drawer. Right next to me. And I pulled it out, and I started reading fear topics on, you know, the little readings on fear, because that's where I was. I was really frightened, and I thought, well, this isn't doing it, so I flipped over to faith. I had heard that was the opposite of fear. I now believe they both can coexist, um, but uh, I like to think that the faith kicks in, and um, and it does, but I was, I was, so I started reading faith, and I got to page, I got to about seven readings in, and I was on, I think, page 113, or reading 113, and, and I, I was reading it, and I, I got down to the point that said, I, I've, I've, I've come to realize that there are a lot of things in life more than alcohol over which we are powerless. And I, I need to just be still and know that he, not I, is, you know, is God. And when I read that, a peace just came over me. I, I, I can't explain it. Because there was a lot of stuff going on around me, and it was even worse than I described. And I laid down in bed, and I turned off the light, and I slept like a baby. And uh, not that since then, but because of that, and because of so many other things that have happened in my life, that God, when I step out of the way and let God do it, it happens. Things, good things, all of this stuff turned out well. All of it. Without me. It just did. I mean, I, was, I could be helpful because I didn't kick my son-in-law's butt to the curb like Dr. Phil says. Uh, I, um, I knew that he would be okay if he could, um, you know, get some help, and he did. Um, also, I remember at one point I was really, see, I screwed up my daughters, I thought. Turns out, I was told by those little ladies in that first group, you know, when I'd say, oh, my God, she's dating loser number three, and she just finished with loser number two, and it's all my fault because I drank. She said, honey, you're not that powerful. <laughs> and she also asked me this, and this helped me so much because of the guilt that we can bring into this program. She said, did you do the best you could do raising those kids with what you had to work with? And I said, yeah, I think I did. I did the best I could with what I had. And she said, then, then that's all anybody can do. And, um, and you know, to, 
to, you know, fast forward through those girls that were never coming home and I was never going to see the grandchildren. Well, I have seven grandchildren that have never seen me take a drink and that one son-in-law has never seen me take a drink. He refers to me as the calming force in the family. <laughs> um, I thought, honey, you just didn't know me back then. But um, anyway, uh, I, I, I think what I've learned by having things that I thought were wrong turn out to be right, that I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to second guess whether I even have a clue when an event occurs, whether it's wrong or right. I went to a talk in Eden once that I gave and several years ago, and a little guy, I just said, well, good things happen and bad things still happen in sobriety. But, and he came up at the end, he says, you know, I don't like to think of events as being bad or good anymore because I just don't know. And um, he said, some things, you know, and I started thinking about that, and that is the God's truth. Some of the worst things that I think ever happened to me have turned out to be the best. Becoming an alcoholic, let me tell you back when I was even admitting I was an alcoholic, but in my back of my mind said, you might be, but I'm just a problem drinker. Um, but just, just, I thought that was horrible. I am so grateful that I'm an alcoholic. I mean, I could have been a sex addict or something, but I needed a 12-step program, right? And if I hadn't had it, I would still be going around trying to people please trying to um, be perfect. I like just being average. Oh, maybe a teensy bit above average, but I just like to be able to, you know, I like to be able to be in the room with my husband. He said, you didn't park your car where I put the blue tape. <laughs> I said, I didn't. I said, oh, okay, you, uh, put a different color, something brighter, man. <laughs> I, don't, it, it, I don't know. I just don't have to be perfect anymore. And, um, and what has happened to me, too, is that I collect all these little things where I've been dead wrong on and God's been right, and I catalog them, and I have to, anytime I'm starting to run some show or watch somebody else I know run some show, uh, I'll just say, how do you know that's the way it's supposed to go? I that People had to say that to me. Somebody had to say to me one time when I was whining about my husband was getting ready to retire, and he was going to retire for seven years, so I whined a long time, uh, and, and just said something like, you know, don't you just trust God with this? And I said, well, yeah, I do, but, oh, Lordy, I shouldn't have said that. Um, this person said, there are no buts. You either trust God or you don't. And I believe that today. I believe that today. Because um, I think when we start putting those buts in, it's like saying, yeah, I'll trust God with my mother-in-law and all that stuff and things I don't care anything about. But um, when it comes to my children or something, you know, I'm, I, I think I better run it. That's not the way I've learned that it works. And it, it works a lot better if I can just... Um, do that. What what I do to stay sober today, in addition to daily conversations with my higher power, all the time, <laughs> um, 
is I, um, I do read meditations. I do meditate for 10 minutes each day. And uh, I can physically calm myself down with that because um, I've done it. It works. Somebody in my group said that, uh, that it actually changes the gray matter in your brain if you meditate there or something. Because um, I need that. But um, so the, I do that and, um, and I sponsor women. And, um, and I, have a, I have a huge network of women. And part of the instructions that my sponsor gave me when I started taking this thing seriously was to call two women a day. And I know I did not want to do that. And I don't have to think about it now. I mean, it just flat happens. Somebody calls me. Somebody uh, texts me. I call somebody. And this just happens. And, and, I, and so, so the, the network of women that I have built up, and I used to not like women. I thought they were petty and big competition. I just didn't like women. And... Um, uh, the, some of the women I taught with were very petty. And, uh, but I, I can deal with those kinds of people now. If I don't like something I see in other people, what I can do about it is not do it. That's basically what I can do. <laughs> just You don't like the way they're acting, don't act that way. That's about what I learned from it. But anyway, I, um, I, ha- I have an incredible network of women. And I think about something I heard a long time ago that says, um, you know, you're lucky if you have three good friends in a lifetime. Well, that might be for Earth people, <laughs> not for us. Uh, we got lots more. Um, and, and it is true when I think of just my Earth friends, you know, I have three pretty good friends out there that one I would tell almost anything to, the other two not so much. <laughs> but in AA, you know, it's just different, you know. Uh, these people, we're we're all in a lifeboat together, and uh, the, the reading that I mean, the daily reflections that was read tonight. You know, I jotted part of it down this morning when I read it because I thought it was so good. As you know, about we 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 can't put each other down and talk. You know, in the group and all this because. We're in this. We're in a lifeboat, and and if we start rocking the boat, we may all drown. You know, it's just real important to, to take care of each other and like that. And I um I think about the the magic of these rooms. You know, I just can feel the love in these rooms. And and I I learned a poem. My dad gave me a book of poems when I was sixteen, and it had a poem in there that always makes me think of AA. It was called Friendship, and it was written by Anonymous. Uh, He was very prolific, I think. (laughs) And it, it went, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. And that's the kind of friends I find in AA. And all I ever wanted in my life was that, you know, to be surrounded by people that cared and... And and all I have to do to keep these friends is just 
be that kind of friend, that's all. And uh, going through this program, and I refer to all of the steps all week long. My favorite being, I don't go to bed at night with an un, untaken care of amends. And that's why a lot of people get late night texts from me. <laughs> I, I, I don't sleep well if I need to make an amends. And, and God lets me know now when I need to. And uh, I've run over, and I'm sorry, but I enjoyed this so much. And I uh, hope to see some of you afterwards. Bye. Thank you.